As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support from people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. What's going on, everybody? You're listening to Burn and Return for the next, oh, I don't know, hour or so. This is the only weekly podcast that covers green industry and agricultural-related news. At least it's put together in a way that we put it together. There may be other ones out there, but ain't none of them quite what we need it to be. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> my name's Matt Martin. I have my lovely cohorts with me here. Mr. Ray Ito. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Doing good. Excellent. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're alive. Glad you're healthy. And we also have Mr. DeMay here. Ryan DeMay. Ryan Dismay. How are you, sir? You know what? I'm feeling pretty good tonight. I'm hoping that I can just uh, continue to make the uh, ignorant uncomfortable and the shills awkward. So let's do that. Good. I'm <laughs> glad we're starting out on the right foot and we're not leaving any questions about where everyone stands unanswered. So let's go ahead and jump into this bad boy and start off with today's headlines. All right, we've got one hell of a headline here coming out. Palm Beach, Florida. Here we go. If there <laughs> is ever, and it's, it's an odd thing to see this in Florida because, you know, Florida's, Florida's a little loosey-goosey in terms of things they do and don't do. Um, but this headline right here is Palm Beach, Florida, Synthetic Turf Ban Review. Uh, when I first read that, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I thought I Matt, read was Synthetic Matt. Yes. That's a burn. Is it? Yeah. I needed to down. hit refresh. You jumped down. Did I? Yeah. Am I? Guys, <laughs> what's going on with me today? Somebody help me. It's, it's okay. <laughs> we can talk about your problems later in the show. All right. Let's go ahead and kick this off. Uh, for anybody that's interested, <laughs> I came across an article here. <laughs> this is. Came across an article right here. Couple, right couple interesting things. Uh, if you go to, uh, who's this? Uh, Subvert Nutritionals, or is a liquid fertilizer company. It looks like they have developed a plan uh, for cannabis growers. So if, uh, which is kind of interesting, and taking a look at the product line here, this is similar stuff to what we see in the cannabis industry. So 065 and the Bloom stuff, I wouldn't say that's anything out of the ordinary. Uh, an interesting soluble powder here in 181020. It looks like that's uh, kind of modeled after the uh, nutrient removal rate of uh, our hemp and cannabis plants. 
And, uh, you know, of course, some of the other things we also see like silica and, the, and uh, maybe even some cow mag. So interesting, interesting stuff there. Uh, if there's any one thing that I thought was was most interesting, it was the peak product, a 120.25. And if you look at the instructions here, it says you mix three milliliters in a gallon of water and then you dip the foliage into it in place of like using a traditional cloning product. It's a little different. It's a little different. But I thought it was cool. Cool enough to go ahead and bring it up. Or J-Pink did at least. So we got that out of the way and I'm not incredibly humiliated. <laughs> The first headline that we're going to cover is the Crystal Green Fertilizer Plant. A sustainable fertilizer firm plans a North St. Louis riverfront factory. And for those of you that are not familiar, uh, Crystal Green uh, is out of Canada. And I actually thought um, they were out of business because of uh, it was just impossible to get any kind of information either from them or people who did business with them about when, who, what, how they were going to, how you could acquire Crystal Green. In fact, um, when we were doing the Carbon Earth thing, this is one of the inputs I was looking at using. And uh, and so it's interesting to see that uh, there is enough demand now that they feel comfortable, one, spending a $25 million retrofit job, uh, two, in St. Louis, which makes sense to me in terms of logistics, and then three, 200,000 tons a year. And for those of you that are kind of asking what this is, so this is recycled uh, uh, phosphorus from the wastewater treatment facilities. It is not a biosolid. Uh, This is a calcium, magnesium, nitrogen, phosphate kind of sort of deal. Um, And it is touted as being a uh, a root-activated phosphorus, which AKA means uh, it is very... Uh, uh, highly insoluble, only little bits are soluble at a time to provide a closer to slow release like effect from it. But I, I mean, that's some big money there. They're obviously seeing something. Ryan, have you heard of Crystal Green? Have you ever used it? What's your kind of th- what's your thoughts when you're looking at something like this? I mean, it's a good it's a good use of a waste product, right? Like uh, I think that's obviously the first thing that. With them being right there on the Mississippi River, like I got to imagine some of their sources are going to be from further away, right? So they can get exactly what they want because I'm sure their specs are pretty tight on the type of raw material they need to produce their product. But it's interesting in the way they market it. I'm not sure in practice of, you know, truly how slow release it is, right? I'm not sure that there's any published data or anything like that that will tell you that, hey, of, you know, between an untreated check and map and crystal green what you'll see right in terms of um tissue content and um soil levels right so i'd be interested to see you i'm gonna stop you right there um there there's not an overwhelming amount of it but there is a little bit so um auburn university did some work with this um they didn't list the the entire specifics but uh they did show some biomass differences between using dap and crystal green um so the the main uh, makeup of this product is it's a 5280 with 10% magnesium so this is the scum that develops on it, it's a solid insoluble scum that develops on the outside of the pipes uh, coming from the wastewater treatment facility. So it builds up and it, 
you know, they decided to turn it into a fertilizer of sorts, right? You got to clean it up a little bit, but, um, so I'll just, just to say that it is, it is insoluble. Like you can drop this in water. It's not going to dissolve. That's why they call it root activated, right? You're relying on, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that whole thing, but it is a recycled product. And then, you know, we can kind of go on from there. Oh, right on. Actually, uh, was that Beth girl doing that work down there? I would say it was. I don't know for certain. Okay. I didn't know if it was turf rag. Mm -hmm. So, Ray, tell me, uh, again, this this is my thought on it, just in in big picture terms, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, high pH soil, this seems like it would be a better bet, right, in terms of allowing the root exudates, right, to, in that rhizosphere, to essentially create uptake opportunities when this is present and so i don't know i mean is it is it an all-around product in your world or is this something that you would say hey i would use it in this situation but not that situation actually uh i've seen magnesium nitrogen and phosphorus around here in hawaii going back decades because a popular fertilizer here is something called magnesium ammonium phosphate magamp and who uses that are all of the orchid and anthurium growers because they need a constant slow release source of phosphorus to promote flowering that also is resistant to leaching because when you're growing orchids you're not growing them on traditional soil. It's all on soilless media. So I've kind of seen this before. So if in fact this is a recycled product from you know the waste stream, A plus for Crystal Green, you know, that's an A plus. I mean, I could imagine utilizing this, for example, during reno or you know, mm-hmm. during resodding, where you throw this down underneath the sod, and then you don't have to worry about phosphorus availability for a long time because it's going to be there. And my experience with the old Megamp product is that it ensured non leaching, non moving phosphorus release over at least two years. So it was there for the long haul. That's interesting. I don't know. I think uh, what Matt said, I think, uh, you know, uh, they had, I want to see this real quick while I'm thinking about it. But, you know, I think this is one of, like what Matt said, trying to get hands on it the last eh, year and a half. You just can't hear anything back from these. And I'm not sure what their distribution network is like. So I think that'll be the other thing too. Right, Matt, is... How do these guys come to market, especially in turf? Who do they try to partner up with and get this stuff out there, right, into the hands of consumers and pros and things like that? I think that's going to be the real question is, you know, they're estimating 200,000 tons. Surely they have a place to park all that. You know, they must already if they're going to, you know, make this investment. So where do you think it's going to end up? How do you think it's going to get out in the market? 
this is going purely to blenders. So you're not going to see bags of crystal green anywhere. Um, it'll be a component of a blend similar to like what we see Anuvia and their scaling project going on where, you know, they're including Anuvia as ammonium sulfate, right? Um, so getting rid of ammonium sulfate in the bag of fertilizer, replacing it with Anuvia and selling it as, um, um, ammonium sulfate. It's kind of a, kind of a weird thing, but that's been a Nuvia's play in, in, at the agricultural level and at the lawn care level. And that was the whole point of them buying the mosaic plant was to be able to blend and, uh, and scale production out of that place. Um, so what's interesting is that their investment arm that, uh, the investment arm of crystal green is Taurus. I'm not familiar with Taurus. I think they may, I think Taurus may have had something to do with that dairy farm uh, fertilizer that was out for a little while, for a couple of years, and they they folded too. Um, I think Taurus was involved in that, but Taurus it seems to have a good reputation on the ag side of things. Um, and so I think there's going to be some synergy there where they go after agricultural blenders and just make this the stock um, uh, uh, phosphorus, especially especially with what's going on with MAP and DAP prices right now, you know? I mean, you're talking about extreme increases in prices and this being a waste stream. Now, granted, like I know one of the major business models of Crystal, Crystal Green is they have a patented nutrient recovery process that they install at these wastewater tr treatment facilities, right? Does this affect biosolid production? I don't know. Is it going to you know, draw down on the biosolid market? I don't know. Probably. This is probably the phosphorus that would go into biosolids is now being recovered and, and converted into crystal green. With biosolids catching the bad rap that they've been catching over the last five years, um, I think that this becomes the new play with how to recover phosphorus from wastewater treatment facilities and just doing away with all the negative press of biosolids. Huh. That is an interesting, th that's an interesting business model, right? Is corner the raw, right? And make it all yours, right? And own that process and you'll never have a problem. You don't have to worry about well, uh, what the port prices are and everything like that, right? Yeah. When you control it from that aspect, as long as people are shitting and throwing stuff away, you know, you've got a steady stream of raw materials coming in. And, you know, so unless there is a, uh, a humongous loss of population, then you really have nothing to worry about, right? Well, we'll go ahead and move on to the next one here. And this is uh, this is the Lawn Care Squeeze. Uh, and this is from the Berkshire Edge. And what I thought was interesting about this is that it's making the local news here about the shortages, right? So, uh, and basically, just to kind of summarize what's been going on here is that there's uh, lots of, of lawn care people that are out there um, that have just completely maxed out. What to me is weird when I'm reading this is how many of these companies they talk to are experiencing record growth. And I think about it also from the standpoint of all the people I talk to are experiencing record growth. Where the hell are all these people coming from? That's it. That, I mean, it to, to, as, as new clients is what I'm saying, right? I can't right. figure out what, where the hell is all this growth coming from? Because every company I talk to says they are maxed out. They can't bring on any more employees because they can't find anybody to work. And they're still getting 10 to 20 calls a week. 
I'm like, what is going on out there? I'll let Ray go first and see if he's if he's seeing this out there in his business. Uh, I'm actually not. I'm actually not not really because uh, believe it or not, uh, the lawn care and landscape industry here has been relatively stable, if anything, uh, with COVID. There actually has been a a little bit of a downturn because people are confined to home, so they are, you know, taking on some of this themselves instead of hiring it out. I mean, I'm seeing the opposite, actually. Well, and I think, you know, if you look at, like, Scott's Miracle Grow and what they saw in the last three quarters of last year and their growth, I mean, it, what you say bears out, but I also see a whole bunch of people that were at home and obviously we've talked about it and it's been talked about ad nauseum in our industry that people were looking at stuff and saying, Hey, I'm, I don't like the way that looks and I don't know what to do. And so I'm going to call somebody and have them fix Mm -hmm. it for me. And I also think too, that I think people just realized that, you know, for, for people that weren't totally into it, like especially a lot of our audience here, I think a lot of people were just like, I hate this and it's a time suck and I'd rather pay somebody to do it for me. Right. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's really that that whole reckoning of not what's my time worth, but what do I like to do with my time now that I had all this free time in 2020 to figure out what I absolutely despise and what I really love. And people are just saying, you know, over and over again, hey, I'll do it. You know, I'll just I'll call somebody and have them do it for me. Right. And I mean, here with with some of the guys I know, um, it's literally like, you know, they're even increasing prices to the point where they're telling me what they're charging for some of these jobs. And it's just like, how in the hell are you getting people to pay you that for that type of work? And they're like, we don't even have to try. Like, there's not even like our patented sales processes where we got to, you know, reassure people and go over expectations again. It's just like, hey, if, if you can do this, get in here and do it. We'll pay that price and off you go. And it's just amazing. It really is. So. I don't know. I think it's it's the the labor thing aside. I think it's the point of this article, right? Is that how do we contend with you know grow, 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 grow on the on the revenue side, right, and the work side, but running out of people to get the job done, and not just like any old swing and dick. I mean, like legitimately skilled people, right? And that's the that's the rub that people are in right now, and companies and owners and operators and things like that. So how we break ourselves free of that? I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be. It's going to be. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really tough. No, it's going to actually be painful because here's the other factor to bring in. In the old days, people would not be home, so you could hmm. get away with your usual, you know, shenanigans. But <laughs> now, with people home, uh Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, that doesn't fly anymore, and it's uh, it's just an entirely different ball game. So I'm pretty sure all of these companies have to be very careful who they admit onto their payroll because I think that's a factor, too, is that now eyes are, you know, on, on, the, on the crew and... 
You cannot have any old swinging dick. Yeah, I mean the days of days of going into Hank Hill's tool shed and whacking off. Uh, that's over. You can't do that when you're on. The yeah, property. you can't. You can't do that kind of stuff anymore. You you know you can't be uh, you know smoking a cigarette uh, behind the tree or you know peeing into the hedges. You can't do that kind of stuff anymore. It's Man, not, I can it's totally not see Ray walking across the lawn with that whole setup with the big marble red dangling off his lip. Man, I can totally see that <laughs> being an ad. Thirty years ago, that could have been a magazine ad and like lawn and landscape, but today, no, sir, can't do it. Sorry, can't do it. Right? Can't do it. Let's check out this next one here. Waste products mitigate climate change. Is that, I, I'm, I, I might have argued this was a burn here. Um, a product made from urban agricultural and forestry waste has an added benefit of reducing the carbon footprint of modern farming. An international review involving UNSW has found the visiting professor in the School of Material Sciences and Engineering at UNSW, Science Stephen Joseph, says the study published in GCB Bioenergy provides strong evidence that biochar can contribute to climate change mitigation. We've got another one here, boys. Biochar. <laughs> This study also found the biochar can help build organic carbon in soil by up to 20%. Average 3.8% can reduce nitrous oxide emissions from soil by 12 to 50%, which increase the climate change mitigation benefits of biochar. Interesting article to come across here. One thing that I will always say when I read these is I take them with a grain of salt because I have been reading these same articles for the last 10 years. And everyone touts it as having all of these benefits and that, you know, studies are showing that we've got promising results here and we've got promising results there. Here's the thing. I have yet to see any of it put into uh, a, a major application with major changes that it has taken place. Um, it, why is that the case? I think, and this is... You know, from my perspective, having worked with it as long as I have, is the inconsistency and the variability of the biomass that goes into the biochar production, right? I can go right now to South Georgia and go get biochar as a waste product from a Kim Kimberly Clark place. Costs no dollars as long as I put it down on an agricultural field. And it's great. And it, they've been doing that for a long time. Um, is 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 the only thing is adoption the the only thing that's limiting factor here uh is it uh production are there not enough people producing it what is it why is it and if it's so great why what, what's the delay in everybody getting to use it because what i promise you me walking into a place and trying to pitch biochar i can pitch biochar 10 different ways from sunday i've done it i've given presentations at titan stadium i've given presentations in fucking new york and everyone looks at you with their eyes crossed and they're like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Tell me guys, what, what's, what's the big cap here? If it's, if it's that good, if it's that good and it has all these promising characteristics, what's the holdup on it? Here's my holdup on it. <laughs> my holdup on right. it is I'm reluctant to broadcast or apply highly absorptive carbon on soil, especially soil where I'm responsible for 
growing and maintaining turf grass and ornamentals because biochar to me is an absorptive carbon source similar to my favorite activated charcoal so that is my hold up and that's why i immediately dismiss anybody selling me biochar and telling me that it's the latest and greatest addition to my agronomic program don't get me wrong i do use activated charcoal but uh it is not as a soil amendment it is not as a you know fertilizer additive it's for a very specific purpose You know, a lot of it right now is that anecdotal level stuff, and I'm and I'm sure that what they're saying here, you know, makes sense in terms of the data that they're they're putting out there. They wouldn't do that, right? It's it's not that kind of a some fly by night, you know, trade group or something like that putting this out. Now, that being said, um, what's the what's the net effect, right? I'll I'll play devil's advocate here. What did it take to create, you know, make that product, right? In terms of um, an overall carbon footprint? What did it take to transport that to get it to the farm field or get it to the blending facility or wherever it was going, right? So is this really helping, right? Uh, I don't know. I think when you come at it from the environmental angle, it's probably a wash, right? Now, from an agronomic perspective, you know, there is some data that suggests that there is some benefit to it, right? In certain and very limited situations, right? And so... I would say that this this is again somebody who I shouldn't say somebody a product that has been taken uh, to be sort of this utopia, right? This this hey, you can apply it everywhere and do everything with it, and it'll be awesome when it really only fits like a really small sliver of the pie to make it just right uh, and have the benefits of it. That it it can truly produce right. Uh, limited as they may be. And so all that aside, you know, the funny thing um, is is the reason that this one caught my eye and the reason it ended up on here was that um, the the Internet's largest turf purveyor of uh, biochar products was was somebody who pounded the table and put this out there on social media and said, hey, look, see, see, right here, look, look. And okay. I just had to shake my head and say, confirmation bias, man. I'm like, come on. Uh, Jay Pink, if you go to the bottom of that article, I'm going to I'm gonna bring up uh, something here. You're going to see uh, down at the bottom, it says reference. How biochar, this, so this guy, this comes from a paper that came from this university. How biochar works and when it doesn't review mechanisms controlling soil and plant responses to biochar. So if you actually go to this study, and that's what I'm looking at now. And the abstract, and this is the most pivotal piece of this abstract. And this is what I've tried to teach about biochar for the last five years. I've tried to pound this into people's brains. I did, I've done videos about it. I've done live presentations about it. And this is how they concluded, uh, at least on the, the abstract of this study that they did. Biochars can be tailored to address site constraints through feedstock selection, modifying pyrolysis conditions, through pre- and post-production treatments or co-application with organic or mineral fertilizers. 
We demonstrate how, when used wisely, biochar mitigates climate change and supports food security and the circular economy. This is basically everything that is that needs to be taught accurately about biochar is in that final two sentences of this study. Because here's the thing: biochar is not as simple. Biochar is 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 like the term nitrogen, right? How many different classes of nitrogen do we have? We've got calcium nitrate, we got potassium nitrate, we got ammonium sulfate, we got urea, we got ammonium phosphate, we got dipotassium, diammonium phosphate. We have all these different nitrogen sources that are that are at our disposal, right? And it's us to have to find what those secondary benefits of the nitrogen source we choose to capitalize on the greater overall effect. The exact same thing applies to biochar. Is it going to be a 300C biochar at 18 hours? Is it a 200C biochar at four hours? Is it a a, a, a 1200C uh, Celsius pyrolysis temperature biochar that's hardwood, softwood, uh, plant debris, paper? Uh, it, it could be anything. It could be cow shit, human shit. All these things have been converted into biochar, and they each have unique variations in what they provide in a final product and the characteristics you get out of that biochar. There's no transparency around that part. If there was transparency around that part and testing that alluded to that part, because that data has already been done and compiled and out there, but from the marketing perspective and the product development side of things, nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that. They're like, oh, we have the highest carbon content. Well, that's great. That's great. So does activated charcoal. So what are you selling me that's different than activated charcoal, right? Oh, it's derived from coconut husk. Oh, that's perfect. So is activated charcoal. What are you selling me here? Oh, it comes from almond shells. Oh, yeah, I've seen that in our activated charcoal too. What are you doing differently? It comes from pine. You get all these variations out of it, and nobody wants to talk about that. So when you see a bio, and this is for anybody out there that wants to use a biochar product, kudos to you. I don't mind. But this is what you should know is what is the biomass that was used to create that biochar? What was the pyrolysis temperature of that biochar? And then what are the specific effects that that type of biochar actually supplies? And will the manufacturer give you that? And I'll tell you right now, not a, ha- not a chance in hell they'll tell you. They will not know. And even more so, they won't know how to tell you because they don't know what the effects of it are. They just want that biochar label because that right now is what's marketable, not what the most hyper-precise details of what that specific type of biochar actually supplies. And I get real hot thinking about that because it's disingenuous from my perspective. uh, And I think it's disingenuous to the customer as well because it's kind of like one of those things like, well, if we protect it and we don't tell them what they're actually getting, they don't need to know. What is it? What is that? What is that? They don't need to know. They can't handle the information. They can't handle the truth kind of sort of thing. All right, we'll do one more here before we start moving on to uh, the next one here. And this is retail potash, map prices climb as other fertilizers stall. Oh, this is great. But (laughs) here's also the not so great thing about this is we're still at record prices for everything. And so map is continuing to climb. Awesome. Potash still continuing to climb. Awesome. Not good, gentlemen. All right. Yeah, you're reinstalled. Oh, thank God. Thank God. It's already at 556 a ton. I'll give you an example. Uh, Uflex, it, well, this is a generic uh, uh, urea uh, that is that is treated with a urease inhibitor over $1,000 a ton in bulk now. 
and this is mm. this is from you know buying from a retail distributor, right? So, not and from a, a wholesale buyer making this making this kind. So it is it is not good, boys. And the fact that our other inputs are starting to climb. Look, this this is exactly what happened in two thousand eight. So prior to two thousand eight, you saw more triple eighteens, triple sixteens, triple fifteens, triple nineteens. And, you know, Ray, I talk about how that becomes a meme. It was after 2008 when everybody scrapped everything and just started applying urea because it was too expensive right. to apply anything else. Urea was already monumentally expensive. It disappeared. Well, now we've run into this. And so it's going to be a boutique and shoot me, slap me in the face for using that word to me. But it is now boutique to use nutrients aside from only nitrogen anymore because it's just too damn expensive. Oh, you mean? So uh, go ahead, go ahead, Ray. Go. <laughs> so what that means is that uh, I'm really, uh, you know, pushing the price curve, uh, putting down my one one one, because you will take my one 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 from my cold dead hands. <laughs> I here's here's my thing is like. You know, 2008, I agree. 2005, 2009 were the last two big bubbles in the fertilizer industry. And I've, I've lived through those, managed through those, had to go ask for more money because we weren't going to be able to do what we needed to do agronomically, and it sucks. I mean, it's a terrible conversation to have with anybody. Um, it's a little bit easier when you have a 1,000 clients and you're talking about 20 or 30 bucks. It's a whole different game when you're in a golf course and you're asking for 28,000 or 34,000 more dollars, right? It's not a fun conversation to have. So, you know, the, the couple things I'll say in thinking about this is number one, the, we just talked about it. the demand is there in the market, right? Don't be afraid to raise your prices and don't be afraid to raise your prices and tell people, hey, I'm doing what's right for you. And to Ray's point of what he would say, you know, he'll, he'll grab somebody by the shirt collar and say, I'm going to do what's right for your grass. Do you understand me? I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to make your grass get good. All right. Now get out of my damn way and let me spray your lawn. Right. So exactly. you know, today we, we joke around, we joke around about that, but it's so true that, you know, people tiptoe around this, you know, like Matt was saying, and they do things that they don't explain the expectations of what people should have, right. As customers and don't explain, you know, the why, right. Um, you know, man, if there was only lawn mentor, uh, lawn care you know we would be so much better off in the marketplace but i guess what i'm saying here is that don't be afraid to raise your prices and on the other side on the cost side is control what you can control right so like this is this is where a 20 or 30 or 40 dollar soil test is going to be worth its weight in gold right as you start to scale up and there's absolutely no reason that you should not be doing that now when you look at these price curves and look at where, where it's going right the big thing that we didn't have in 08 and 05 was the inflationary pressure that we have right now. Like everything costs more, right? So you can use that to your advantage in the pricing strategies when you talk about, okay, customer A, customer B, high-end program, medium program, right? Whatever the case might be, you can go to both those customers, have the same conversation and just show them this article and say, hey, look, I, my price is going up. There's nothing I can do to hold this back, right? This is a dam that's about to break and... I'm just trying to be honest with you of what I need to do to take care of your lawn. And the last thing I'll say here too is that, at least in my view, this is gonna, this is a a niche to kind of fall in here where, uh, 
the commodity-based lawn care people are not going to be able to keep up with this, right? There's no way that those prices are going to be able to stay where they're at and continue to be a commodity base. So this is where, again, be honest with people, be upfront. If you're charging a little bit more, even a lot a bit more, it's okay because if you can deliver the results, even in the face of these high prices, I think you're going to be just fine. That's the name of the game. It's not going to be just price. Everybody's paying more prices for more stuff. Use that to your advantage. Don't be afraid of it. Absolutely not. I mean, this would not be the time to cheat because, uh, Ryan, people are probably going to be home to look at this in the daylight for, I want to say, the next couple of years at least. So <laughs> you'd, better, you'd better deliver results. I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, real quick, Jay Pink picked up on something that I saw too. Can, great, can you can you throw that up there real quick, Jay Pink? Put that little picture up there that you sent. Come on, you can throw it up there. Look at the author's photo. <laughs> Hold on. I, I mean, it was the first thing I saw when we opened this article. I don't like making fun of people, but it looks like you know what this looks like. It looks like they took his high school yearbook photo, and then you know, like that stuff when like they have a missing person and they like computer age you. You know, for how long you've been missing. That's what this looks like. They, yeah. like they were just like, all right, well, it's been about like 24-ish years. All right, just go ahead and do that because, you know, Russ ain't going to sit down for a, for a headshot. We can't get him to do it. So we'll just use the computer thing. Just do it. Russ, if you're out there, I love you. But we got we got to get you over to Glamour Shots, stat. I'm going to reach we'll, out to we'll Russ on Twitter. Like, see, see, see if we can get him on the show and do a video. Oh, no. All right. Oh, no. All right. We're, we're, before we move on, let's talk about this week's sponsor. And again, we are sponsored by Hone Health. HoneHealth.com forward slash grass factor. Listen, we're all men here. We're all men here. I reached out to Hone Health because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Sorry for the AA references. I always tend to fall back on them. I don't know why they're burned into my brain. But HoneHealth.com forward slash grass factor. You don't have to blame everything on being tired. For 45 bucks, you can get checked out. Find out exactly where you lie. Listen, I was absolutely stunned to find out that I had low testosterone. I've got two kids. I had no no issues making two kids. I've never had any issues making kids. I'm hairy as hell. I look like a gorilla. I act like a gorilla. I'm pretty wild. Sure as hell, I'm not low testosterone. But you know what? I was. And I got to say that when I found out I had low testosterone, it was it was embarrassing. Like I felt felt like a, a bitch but you know what i got to talk to a doctor i got to put together a treatment plan and i'm on i'm on my road to success i have not started treatment yet i'm doing this one step at a time so that way everybody at home can kind of watch as we go through this together and i hope y'all decide to join me on my journey if you're tired of feeling exhausted if you're tired of blaming it on getting older you can do something about it i am I hope you do too. Honehealth.com forward slash grass factor. Now we're going to move on to this week's burns. Fire! <laughs> All right. So this is the one I messed up earlier, but, and I, and I actually read it wrong too. Palm Beach could lift ban on fake turf front lawns. Instead, ban it entirely. 
The city of West Palm Beach will discuss lifting the controversial ban on synthetic turf in front lawns. Currently, the city's code enforcement only allows synthetic turf in backyards and side yards, which is comparable to policies in surrounding municipalities. Let me tell you, am I... What kind of sense does that make? I I, I don't know. You can't have seatbelts in the front seat of the car, but by God, you got to have them in the back seat. All right? You understand? This is about safety. Absolutely not. Should they discourage people from installing synthetic turf in their lawn? In my opinion, absolutely. I would I would discourage that, but I don't think you take away that option from people as like, oh, oh, you don't do that, you son of a bitch. We grow real Actually, grass in Florida. I, I, I have some experience with synthetic turf in that my city requires a special permit to install synthetic turf on any area fronting their right-of-way or runoff area. Makes sense. You, you know, in other words, you can't just do it. They uh, regulate it and restrict it because of runoff. Because their point I- is that growing grass is a better mitigator of polluting runoff than synthetic grass. And that's that's the way you discourage it, right? Is that you make this permit or this fee, right, for an impervious surface, right? You whether it's got drainage underneath, which usually these don't, um, mm-hmm. or stone base or anything like that. You basically say, hey, this is an impervious surface, and because it's not um, asphalt or concrete, a paved surface, we're going to charge you three times as much, right, for that impervious surface area that you have as a part of your home, and that's the way you discourage it, right? So. I just thought it was weird. I saw this, and um, the first thing that caught my eye was just like, how dumb is it that the, the compromise, like this is so like politically red tape bureaucracy bullshit, is, all right, you know, they were probably in a closed council meeting. All right, Cheryl, we know that you don't want the turf anywhere on the property, but can you just give us the side yard and the backyard, please? Right? Cheryl, we need you here. All right? <laughs> of course, you know, Cheryl relented and said, all right, you know, you sad sacks of shit. You can have the fucking back and the front, you know, whatever, but you're not doing the front, right? So here we are. Now we have, here's the other thing, too, is who's to say what is the side yard and what isn't, right? Well, my house is turned a different way. I'll put a door in on that side of the house, and guess what? Now it's my front yard. I can grow grass there or whatever. All I'm saying is, this is the kind of regulation, like, is this the best, number one, is this the best thing that the West Palm Beach City Council had to do? Like, come on. Like, there's got to be something a little bit more important to do. Number two, uh, you're right, Ray. Like, it's not going to, it's only going to hurt having that in your front lawn. But again, if somebody wants to make that choice of their property, like, who the hell are they to tell them? Like, just make it obscenely expensive to do it, discourage people, and that's not an outright ban. This isn't even an issue. And I think they bring up a couple good points here. Uh, in July 2019, the EPA acknowledged that synthetic turf contained toxic chemicals, some of which are known to cause cancer. Of course, what doesn't? The har- harmful compounds, although these are a little bit easily identifiable, right? Arsenic and benzene, not a good one. These chemicals can off-gas <laughs> and be inhaled when the, turfer, when the turf gets too hot, up to 200 degrees. Ryan, you have okay. a lot of experience with synthetic turf. What temperatures is Synturf cruising at? 
cruising at on a day in Florida? Oh boy, probably cruising no, 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 no. somewhere. But Let, let's hear the extreme things you hear where you are. Extreme? I can tell you what ex- what's extreme. I mean, we measured turf temperature two times daily for over two years and saw the highs, lows, all that kind of stuff. And the highest recorded we were ever at were like was like one sixty six. 166, 160, 166 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. Wow. That's bonkers. That's insane. Yeah. That is insane. And I, so what would it be in Florida? Well, I got to imagine that they would get up around one, 170, 175 would be my guess. Golly. I don't know that for a fact. Uh, and then, of course, the synthetic turf also contains PFAs. Uh, PA, mm-hmm. PFAS is what is identified in biosolids and, and commonly known as a forever chemical. Same thing we see there. It's in, in a lot of plastics and uh, has been linked to lower childhood immunity, endocrine disruption, and cancer, of course. Um, so, it, I mean, it's it's a tough go. I see why they don't want to do it. and then But they also say is that regardless of all those bad things, another reason why we actually want the synthetic turf is to try and cut down on the amount of uh, waste that makes it into the the waterways that cause algal blooms, right? So they're thinking if we install a bunch of synthetic turf, it will cut down on the amount of fertilizers that are going to make it into the waterways. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Mm. Again, that's, yes. That's a- Yes, and then no, yes, because what? you replace one form of quote-unquote maintenance with another form of maintenance because, true or false, Ryan, synthetic turf needs to be cleaned and sterilized. It does need to be cleaned. I mean, so one thing in Florida without drainage underneath that I'd be concerned about, and I'm not sure what a residential install looks like down there. It could be completely different. Up here... You would just have a gravel-based turf over top. There would be no internal drainage unless you have major elevation changes or, any, or something like that. But generally speaking, as long as you've got good surface grade, it should be fine. Um, as far as the san- you know sanitizing of it and sanitization, it's not that big of an issue in terms of staff and other bacteria and stuff like that unless you have like changing rooms, locker rooms, things like that. Um, and usually the UV rays from the sun is enough to kill anything that's on that, right? let alone the temperature that the turf gets to. Biggest thing I would worry about without drainage down there would be algae, right? And then also uh, weeds popping up in there. So you would have, uh, I'm sure that you would have um, both broadleaf and grassy weeds that would pop up in that after, say, the first year, you know? So those will vector from nearby yards, things like that. So you'll still have chemicals and stuff to to spray or hand remove those uh, as needed. So it is not maintenance-free, and it does present its own challenges, like you said. What mm-hmm. about actual turf temperatures? What are we cruising at there? Real grass, Oh, you right? mean real, <laughs> real grass? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At the highest, maybe maybe like 7, 8 degrees above ambient air. Maybe, maybe as high as at 10 most. over ambient air. Wow. So I, I mean, think it, the highest natural grass temp we ever measured was like 101 on the surface. On a day that was it's, probably like ninety six, something like that. Jeez, I don't know. that 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 is that is incredible because I because here's what I've seen out of turf installs. You bring up weeds. 
Here's what I typically see out of a Synturf install that does get permitted. You guys are going to love this. Imagine having volunteer Zoisha, Bermuda, and Nutsedge pop up all through that synthetic turf. No, oh, I can I can believe it. Kalinga. Okay, I mean, and and here's uh, here's where I know it's an is- an issue. I've had Synturf people come to me and ask me what they can do to prevent all of that stuff from growing back up through the Synturf. And you know what I have to tell them? Nothing that you can legally do in a residential area. That's true. That's yeah, very because, true. Uh, okay, I, but then beyond that, Let's talk about actual climate modification because, you know, if you have a surface that gets up to 150 to 160-something degrees routinely, imagine Mm -hmm. having that in a residential area rather than something that mitigates temperature like natural turf grass. What does that actually do? Because uh, I'm aware of... How much green grass keeps areas cool? I'm aware of that effect. There's no question about it that, you know, um, radiational cooling is one of its main benefits, right? Especially in urban areas. Um, You know, somebody asked here, you know, um, how often do you have to replace this and what happens to it, you know, when you're done with it? And the truth of the matter is, is that um, in a residential setting, you might get a little bit longer, maybe 12 or so years out of it. Um, usually the fibers in those, the yarn is not as uh, well made and the mm-hmm. components that are in it, the raw materials that are in it aren't as high quality as what you would find in an athletic turf, right? So the photo degradation of those fibers and all that kind of stuff plays a big role in how long it'll last. But just say 10 to 12 years and then, yeah, you're right. Once you're done with it, um, they effectively strip it, in. strip it, in. it all out, put, remove it. Now, something new. that has happened. What's that? Yeah, put new down. So yeah, that also all that stuff goes to a landfill. There's a process right now, just starting to try, where they take the old turf and they grind that up, and they make that as a component of new infills that are coming on the market that are no no longer um, the standard crumb rubber from tires and things like that. So there's you know there's they're trying to go that zero waste route but the cost on that is exorbitantly high right now and i don't see that it's going to come down very quickly and so again it just comes back to this you know how responsible and quote unquote sustainable do you want to be and how much are you willing to pay for that and you start talking about these numbers and people are like nope don't worry about it just rip it out throw it in the garbage (laughs) and you know so everybody's got high and mighty thoughts but when it comes down to it it's a completely different story when money talks all right, we're going to move on to the next uh, topic here. Oh, boy. $86 million oh in Northern California couple upheld in Monsanto pesticide case. So um, this, again, you talk about going one way and going another way. Uh, here we are. Uh, is anybody surprised that uh, this was upheld in the Court of Appeals in San Francisco? No. No. So they said uh, that, of course, um, 
they found Monsanto at fault for knowingly marketing a dangerous product. Was the uh, uh, <laughs> knowingly marketing a dangerous product? Uh, they failed to let people know that glyphosate could be dangerous and failed to warn the couple specifically from Livermore that made this eighty-six million dollar um, made them eighty-six million dollars richer here. Listen, we continued to beat this into the ground every which way imaginable. Um, and, you know, they say that one of the big um, uh, uh, determining factors in here was the scientific testimony from Christopher Portier, um, who was the guy at the IARC who recruited all the other um, scientists and gave them 24 hours to review the data that he put in front of them in order to come up with the conclusion that glyphosate was toxic. Never mind the fact that he eliminated like a significant portion of the overall studies on mice, mind you, on mice. It's I don't know what 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 do y'all what do y'all let I'll let y'all talk about it because clearly I get upset. Go ahead, Ray. This is. You know, more demonization and bad science, uh, you know, related to glyphosate. It's just more of the same. Why do we have short memories? Or a lot of us just, okay, correlation does not equal causation. Because I'm trying to connect the dots between cancer and glyphosate i mean it's it's very there, there's like a flimsy link if at that so what do you think ryan <laughs> uh ryan's locked up real quick uh oh hey i think he's coming back i was gonna say matt go ahead nope oh, i'm back i uh Here's here's the here's the thing is that you're gonna see this. Uh, they're gonna wring the rag out on this stuff, right? I mean, they're gonna get every last drop that they possibly can, and it's just not gonna stop. Uh, it, it's not gonna stop immediately. I think what's gonna have to happen as an industry, right, is what's starting to happen right now. What we're seeing is that people are closing the door on the glyphosate era, right? It's already started. It's it's now going to affect us in turf. You know, I heard something the other day that and this this one fired me up, boys. Is somebody who has a pretty big reach uh, in the lawn care YouTube space that said, and somebody asked this this gentleman, "Hey, what do you think about Roundup not being labeled for residential anymore?" Oh, it doesn't bother me because it doesn't really affect me. I don't I don't ever use it in my lawn. Now this is somebody that again has a, a pretty good size reach, is selling products, is doing all the things and trying to make, you know, educational videos, quote unquote, but can't see the big picture, like at all, at all. And it's people like that, that again, I, I, I don't like to bring this up, but sometimes when stuff like this, again, I, you know, there's a nexus between what we're talking about and what I see out there, I got to bring it up. But for somebody to be, that obtuse to not understand that there's people's livelihoods, right. That rest on these things. Right. And, and to not understand and either give uh, validity to what people are asking. Right. And, and have a, a, a reasonable response. Hey, you know what? I didn't even know about that, but 
you know, I'm, I'm going to look into that or, you know, that, you know, it really doesn't affect me, but you have to understand that there's a lot more people besides just me that take care of lawns that are not my own. And so that's all I'm going to say about that. Cause I just get, I, I get fired up about people that don't know what they're talking about when it comes to this subject. Yeah. And yeah, I, to have... kind of relay on that and, and expel upon that is people that have not busted their ass in this industry for at least a year. And when I say like, you know, to even, even if you work for true green, just a year, there is a totally different level of respect and appreciation for the people that decide to do this full time as a career. Cause there is nothing glamorous about it. There's absolutely nothing glamorous about it. And there are tens of thousands of people of us out there, hundreds of thousands of people of us out there that have made the, the decision stupid or however you want to describe it is up to other people's interpretations, but we have made the decision to live, operate, exist in this industry as our own, as our means of income, as our means are of pro providing for our families, of, of being men. This is what we do. We, we do the lawn care industry. It's another example of people looking down on what we do because they take it on as a hobby and they have the, the Dunning-Kruger effect has, has set in, right? And so they feel like they have conquered everything that needs to be conquered. Therefore, anything beyond what goes on in their brain is bullshit or should, shouldn't exist. It, it's, it's not real. That's not real life because I have worked on this one space right here, this 8,000 square feet I have worked on and it turned green and it only, it took me three years to do it and I got it and that's, that's it. I, I won. I defeated it. I learned lawn care. I'm an expert. Nope. Never had to use glyphosate. So nobody needs to use glyphosate kind of sort of thing. It's that shit. You want to talk about burning me up? You're right, right? Ryan, I'm trying my best right now. The only thing that's running through my head is, is a series of F words. So I keep stuttering to keep from saying the F words. Actually, Matt, I, you know, I have to kind of like clam up and, and see mom and keep mom on this because Matt, this is the shit that I've been encountering in my business for the last, I want to say, 30 years because I have people that look down on me and talk down to me because they say, you don't need all, all of those chemicals. Look at me. I, I cut everything every day and I, and I pull all the weeds out every day and I have to look at them and think, if not say to their face, look it, you're only doing this over 500 square feet, you're retired, uh, you have no life. There is no comparison to other people's situations, but you're okay with making everybody do everything the hardest way possible. It's like, you don't care, you are obtuse. That's a good word for it, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, that's a super good word for it. I mean, but 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 I'm just saying that I've been encountering that long before glyphosate and Roundup even became a subject. I've I've had to deal with that for the last thirty years, even down to believe it or not, my own father. 
because my father was rather anti-chemical even. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he, he, he was, I mean. <laughs> and here's the thing is that once we continue to go this direction, we don't go back and undo it, right? And that's, that's the big thing that people don't realize is that once you give it up, it's gone. In six years from now, the EPA or whoever or Bayer isn't going to come back and be like, you know what, guys? We decided we're going to allocate $23 billion to put glyphosate back on the market. And we're gonna we're gonna fight yeah. all these lawsuits. We're gonna put it back on the market, and uh, and we'll put a little warning up there. And we're just call it we're just gonna call it good. This is not gonna happen. Yeah, it's, there, once it's gone, it's done. Yeah, there is no NFL replay booth that's gonna say, "Nope, this lawsuit's been overturned." Let's see that again. <laughs> yeah, because you know what, you know what, gentlemen, it is extremely rare for me to see. A product unbanned. And you know, to date, the only time I've seen a product unbanned was this insecticide called DDVP. Not familiar. Yeah, me neither. Okay. No, DDVP is what is in fumigant pest strips. And what a fumigant mm. pest strip is is you put it in an enclosed space like a irrigation controller vault or a valve vault and you won't have cockroaches or centipedes in that thing because the DDVP vaporizes off of that plastic strip but DDVP was a common insecticide up until i think 19 you know 1980 something and then it got yanked hmm. and it, and it recently came back in the last Five years, it it got you know, they were able to prove to the EPA that it was okay to use this. And where this becomes significant is that DDVP, by the way, is one of the few things that's effective against pesticide-resistant cockroaches and bed bugs. Hmm. So there's a there's a public health you know need for this, but then that that's the only time I've seen something that got yanked come back. I mean that's like a unicorn product. Well, good. Well, hopefully when glyphosate causes mass casualties due to starvation uh, and decreased crop production, they'll go ahead and bring it on after you know a good few hundred thousand of us just die of starvation. That would be awesome. Exactly. It's a, yeah, I'm that would be great. Facetious there, but. <laughs> You know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a real possibility if it does start being eliminated from the uh, uh, agricultural sector. All right, we're going to move on to the next one here. And this is the one that I had to throw in because it made me laugh. Uh, and this is specifically for you, Ryan DeMay. The Sunchon oh Phosphatic Fertilizer Factory in North Korea is still unable to produce fertilizer properly. The Sunchon Phosphatic <laughs> Fertilizer Factory, promoted by North Korean authorities as a creation of self-reliant strength and prosperity, has been unable to properly produce phosphatic fertilizer since the plant's completion in over a year. What they are producing specifically out of here is superphosphate of lime. Ray, I'm sure you're familiar with that. But basically a mm -hmm. process by which they dissolve rock phosphate with phosphoric and or a combination of that and sulfuric acid. Um, and then they use gypsum, calcium sulfate or something. Yeah, just like to, we talked to, about down there in Florida. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, 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 they're using the same process as, uh, you know, phosphogy- they're sure making phosphogypsum. Not... <laughs> well, it's a little bit different if, I was going to say, it's a little bit different if somebody doesn't do something right and you can shoot them in the head and kill their family. See, I went there, Ray. I was the first to mention death today, so um, <laughs> I beat you to it, you bastard. Okay. Um, but it's a little bit different. You can't do that in Florida. I mean, you can do a lot of stupid shit in Florida, but I got to imagine a lot of people have probably been, you know, uh, mutilated and or killed because this thing hasn't worked right. So good job, King John. Yeah, and as I was down the wormhole of reading about this, there were people executed for shoddy uh, uh, construction work. And uh, so, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of controversy about this. But, you know, they're running into similar supply chain issues, right? They use sodium sulfate, um, a, but it, it's in limited production capacity right now. And so they haven't been able to get that. Um, and they use uh, white phosphorus and silica as part of the calcination Ooh. process of producing, yeah, using white phosphorus <laughs> My goodness. Uh, for the production well, of this. And uh, they were missing something to remove fluorine. And, and because they could not remove the fluorine, they were unable to produce ammonium phosphate. So as far as producing any kind of nitrogen or any kind of phos- phosphatic fertilizer out of it, so far, it is a no-go, but I would say it looks real badass from the surface. Yeah, I mean, lots of luck. Guys, it, when are we going know, to North luck. Korea and teaching people how to make fertilizer? That's all I want to know. Oh, um, Lord. All right. When, is Dennis Robin going with us? This is, this is <laughs> the last one, okay? Uh, I found this, and I just had to bring it up because it read so stupidly. Lawn mowing. TikTok's top hacks for a perfect lawn mowing your lawn oh, is an fuck. essential step in maintaining the rich I green bl- uh, blades of your garden grass and tiktok's top hacks can help you master the art of a perfectly striped look listen this is eventually what is going to happen is the 60 second social media craze is going to become the authoritative voice in our industry if we don't become the authoritative voice in our industry if we don't point this out for what it is and that's purely entertainment this is entertainment the problem is is that the rate at which this information gets disseminated disseminated it ultimately ends up creating this facade in people's minds that this is authoritative and it's so simple that even the lawn dude or the lawn pharmacist or whoever can can uh, uh, achieve the same thing and should be the voice of reason amongst so many voices of noise I see it. It frustrates the shit out of me because, you know, all right, the guy put stripes in his yard. Kudos. That's great. But how long until they start consulting TikTok on pre-emergent videos? And you want to go down a wormhole of just absolute idiocy is go down the wormhole of YouTube lawn care, of TikTok lawn care. Uh, For instance, uh, the number of people that are uh, actively promoting the use of monosodium methanarsenate, also known as MSMA, as a all-around general purpose weed control for any of the weeds you have in the lawn. And these are businesses, businesses that are actively talking about it as if it is a normal really? thing. Yes. What? I'll send you some links really? to May because it is one hell of a wild ride. I, I do not go on the TikToks. I don't do that. I've, 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 well, you're gonna start. One, one, one where I've just no, it's one where I've just let time pass me by, and I'm okay with it. It's fine by me. 
But really? I... MSME? Go. Really, Matt? MSME? Are, are we seriously suggesting that MSME is back? Because I have not seen MSME in my state in probably, I want to say, at least 10 years. Yeah, and that Jeez. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But uh, apparently, these guys shop at ag stores and are just out there spraying it willy nilly. And uh, and I think it's all more the reason why us in the industry should speak up and and talk about these things and uh, try and and create a presence to call out what effectively is what I would consider a uh, a, a takeover of uh, legitimate. Uh, hardworking people that have uh, made significant sacrifices to have a career in this industry and not have it taken away by the uh, the the lawn care TikTok guy that thinks it's a good idea to mix up glyphosate and granular fertilizer with his hand and eat it off his fingers, kind of sort of thing. All right, we're gonna move into this a, week's. Or, damn it. Do what? I was just no. Tell no, me. I was gonna say or or do a uh, Meyer circular head, you know, model shoot, whatever. Something like that. <laughs> Listen, that was Sears, okay? That was Sears. <laughs> Sears doesn't exist anymore, Matt. Well, it did at Sears that time. Sears is gone. <laughs> Sears is gone, but they were a staple of our history, and he was a qualified model for it, okay? And he looked great. Okay. He did great. I love the mattress commercial. The mattress commercial did it right for me. <laughs> Either way, you know that he's got a special pair of socks. That he, that he keeps just for those underwear shoots. Like, there's a hundred percent. Those are like merino Honey, wool. Like, ready. Are you bringing out those socks again? Tell me you're not going to bring out those socks. You know what those socks do to me. Put those socks up, honey. I can't take it. <laughs> he looks down. He can't even see his big toes down below those socks. <laughs> this week's returns. La, 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 la. All right, so number one here, we've got the Jobber releases. Jobber is a software company, releases the 2021 Mid-Year Review Economic Report in Lawn and Landscape Magazine. And uh, some good news here. Annual growth in home renovation and repair expenditure reached a 6.1% increase year over year in quarter two 2021 and expected to grow by 7.6% by the end of 2021. That is a huge year. Real estate boom is continuing to endure. New builds gaining momentum. And then, of course, contracting invoice size. And this is what's interesting to me. So like you were talking about, uh, Ryan, as far as what people are billing out, a 14% increase in quarter two, 2021, compared to the pre-pandemic levels of Q1 of 2020. So we're talking about pre-pandemic invoicing versus now. Contractors are billing out 14% more. Massive massive. The cleaning segment is up. The green segment shows consistent revenue growth. New work scheduled in the green segment slowed in quarter two, but is heading back in the right direction while medium revenue growth remained remarkably consistent and positive throughout the first half of the year. However, a couple of issues, a broken supply chain and the demand for contractors exceeds availability and long waits for construction projects. A skilled worker shortage is an industry challenge that will continue to impact the home service category. It's just like what we were saying. I mean, the, 
the demands there, I think it's just going to be a couple of things. You're going to you're going to have uh, three different types of businesses in our space, right? I think going forward, you're going to have the people that fight and scratch and claw and somehow make it through um, and continue to scale up their work to whatever point it is, but at the expense of what, you know, their physical health, their mental health, you know, just all the bullshit it takes to, to keep all that stuff together. Right. So there's, there's that, that's one company. Number two, you're going to have the companies that just fail, that just can't do it. And so whether, um, I don't want to say they fail necessarily outright, or they just become, uh, acquisition pieces, right? Hey, I'm going to buy all your accounts from you because, you're just out. You don't want to be that person that's trying to keep up and deal with all the BS of running the business and working in the business and on the business and everything else. And so whether those people go under or they sell their accounts or whatever, I think that's going to be another segment. The last segment, and I don't see a whole lot of people doing this. I really don't is truly embracing technology in a way that is going to not just like help quote unquote your business, but like literally legitimately transform your business. And I think there'll be some really cool stuff that'll come down the pike here uh, in the very near future uh, in terms of things that are going to leverage both skilled and unskilled labor um, to the point that we've never seen before. And I think that's where the people that adopt that mindset now and start looking at ways of plugging in. And I don't mean like immediately overnight wholesale changing your entire business model, but I do mean like starting to figure out, hey, how would we implement technology at one property or two properties or just our commercial properties or just our residential properties wherever that first bite is it's time to start learning how to do that now right because that's the way things are going like and and people over and over again throughout history right in a variety of different industries have sat there and resisted and stomped their feet and said no this isn't going to happen this isn't going to be like there's no way you can do it this way because we do it by hand and we do it this way and that way. And every single one of those has changed over the years, right? Every single one of them has changed over the years. And so how long it takes us to get there, that I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But I do think that um, getting that mindset and that process down now of how to start small and scale yourself up on the technology side is going to be a huge piece. And I don't just mean like, your truck routing software or something like that. Like if you haven't done that yet, like do it, but there's a lot of other things from a work and productivity standpoint that you could be doing um, both currently and in the future. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's anything really shocking to see in that other than we're still continuing to experience growth, regardless of inflation and all the other weird things that are going on. And, and that's a positive. I'll tell you one conversation I had with uh, actually it was with Paul outlaw. Um, you know, he was talking to me about the the growth this year and con- the continual calls he keeps getting. He said this is very reminiscent of two thousand eight, two thousand nine for him. He said that the 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 action that he's getting, not necessarily the feeling. He said the feeling is a little bit different, but um, it it feels like it, it's uh, just the, the amount of traction the business is getting, the rate of growth. And, uh, and he said, it's got him, it's got him a little nervous, a little spooked, you know, you ride it until you can't ride it anymore. Right. But he said it has a, a very similar, uh, kind of approach and lead up on it. So hopefully that's not what we're running into. Um, and I, I, if, if it does come from somewhere, I don't know where it comes from. Does it, does it come from inflation, stagflation? I don't know, 
Um, but I'm not an economic uh, economist by any stretch of means of the imagination. I don't even understand how to balance a checkbook, more or less, uh, uh, <laughs> understand the, the world on an economic scale. So, um, yeah, All right. we'll move on to the next one because we've ran so long on the others. Uh, 2,4-D and nitrogen sources. I thought this was pretty interesting. I kind of reordered these and I'll yeah. go back to the other one. Mixing the correct yeah. nitrogen source and rate with 2,4-D increases efficacy in hard and soft water. Nitrogen source and rate in spray solutions were important factors in 2,4-D efficacy. Uh, potassium nitrate antagonized 2,4-D. That's interesting. Did not know that. Urea in the spray mix did not consistently reduce hard water antagonism. Ammonium fertilizers mixed at adjuvant rates resulted in maximum 2,4-D DMA efficiency. Ammonium sulfate reduced 2,4-D efficiency when mixed at a high fertilizer rate. Interesting stuff here. Ryan, is there anything in here in this uh, in this study that, that you feel like should be shared immediately for all these guys going out and spraying? I think absolutely on the on the AMS side of using it at adjuvant rates, right? So, you know, quarter pound a gallon or something like that. Um, you know, if it's that simple to adjust um, an application and increase your efficacy that much, I mean, that's stupid easy to do, and there's no reason that you shouldn't do it. And certainly, um, you know, with some of the other nitrogen sources, I think I doubt that there's many people outside of 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 Ray who are um, using potassium nitrate as a, a standalone end source, right, in some of their sprays. But it's something to be aware of, right? I thought that was interesting. And then urea, I'm sure that some people are like, well, man, like I can, I can put like, you know, half the amount of urea in there instead of that ammonium sulfate. And so that's going to that's gonna give me a little bang for my buck. And no, it's not. No, it's not. Last thing I'll say, too, is that, you know, Ray, you can talk about this too, is something we face up here, especially, um, you know, a lot of properties that um, I oversee are on well water, which is high pH, usually very, very hard, high in calcium. And so all the time and all the programs I spec that I know that run well water, we're always uh, putting a tank buffer in there, like almost exclusively uh, for every single thing that goes out. And so maybe talk to folks about the importance of you know, this study and what it bore out with the different nitrogen sources and then also just the importance of tank buffers and how they can even help, hell, even on domestic water. Well, what uh, what this study tells you is that, you know, when you add that adjuvant rate, not the fertilizer rate of ammonium sulfate, what that's doing to your spray tank mix is that's knocking out calcium interference with your spray because calcium will form a less biologically active complex with both glyphosate as well as 2,4-D and MCPP and dicamba. The calcium compounds of those active ingredients is very poorly absorbed by weeds and when it's poorly absorbed by your weed, that's essentially a premix that is not as effective and as optimal as it could be. So, speaking to that, a tank buffer, or specifically a free tank conditioner that reduces that interference from calcium, can go a very long way in ensuring that 
you're able to get maximum efficacy out of an application at low rates because I've heard it myself where people don't get good results from their application because their water is interfering with their product efficacy. And so what they're having to do is go there, you know, increase their product rate per acre. And, okay, I pay materials. And the idea of having to throw in like one and a half times as much or twice as much to get the same result, uh, uh, that's not that's not a very happy day for me where something like a tank buffer or else uh, AMS, soluble AMS, that's cheap. Because by the way, do you know what adjuvant rate is for ammonium sulfate? It's approximately 17... 17 pounds per 100 gallon. 17 pounds in a 100 yeah. gallon tank. And I kind of calculated that down to two ounces per gallon if you're spraying small areas. About two ounces per per gallon. And so two don't ounces trim per that fingernail. It's a bigger scoop. Is, yeah. <laughs> it's a quarter. It's a quarter cup per gallon. It's a quarter really cup per deep. gallon. Yeah. And all and, and a quarter cup per gallon is cheap. That is cheap. I mean, and I'm going to say something about even tap water or, or municipal water. And a sure. lot of municipal water supplies, I know I brought this up previously, a mm -hmm. lot of your municipal water supplies deliberately make their water alkaline via yeah. calcium and sodium compounds. And do you know why they do that? Tell me, Ray. It's so that the lead present in brass fittings and even lead pipes mm. does not become soluble in the water and poison people. Additionally, copper copper pipes copper pipes become extremely toxic if you run acidic water through them so it's very important to keep that water ph 7.5 or higher failure to do that uh results in situations similar to say flint michigan mhm mm mhm mm so as a rule, if you're running off of uh, municipal water, your pH is adjusted to 7.5 or higher, and you know they just, you know, that's just standard. And failure to do that will get people in trouble. They're lucky this is not China because uh, the people that were responsible for those shenanigans would have been taken to the woods. <laughs> Beaten with a lead pipe, I believe. <laughs> no, no, they just get one little slug of lead. Just where the slug of lead there goes. You go. <laughs> there you go. I said we got <laughs> to keep the trend going. We are not going to stop with the death references on this episode of Burn and Return. 
Last one of the returns here, uh, and this is from Dr. Michael Woods. Lack of response to a fertilizer application. These pots of variegated tropical carpet grass received an application of granular 16, 16, 16, 12 days before this photo was taken. The grass on the right responded with a lot more growth than did the grass at the left. Why is that the case? Well, as it turns out, the pot on the left had been grown in phosphorus deficient in a phosphorus deficiency throughout the duration of the plant. And so at this point, it was finally receiving phosphorus and therefore it was, it had been experiencing up to this point growth retardation and it has not caught up to the plant that had been grown with adequate phosphorus. And I brought this up because I thought it was interesting about how uh, I, we, how many of the issues that we see that get brought up to us um, you know, as far as like, oh, I've got this disease problem. Oh, I've got this problem with the grass over here. Oh, I've got this problem with the grass over there. Um, I've got this one area that always does this. How many of those end up being simple agronomic issues? And when I say simple agronomic issues, I'm not saying disease related, insect related, nematode related. I'm saying NP and K related, right? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted this as a return purely because MPK is the foundation at which we should all begin. I mean, something that you know, that, that correlates back to this is, um, you know, this is going back almost 20 years, but if you looked at uh, the Great Lakes state, so, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and certain parts of uh, Michigan, where they really tried to clamp down on um, phosphorus applications, right? The this is reported. This is a Joe Vargas thing that he talked about. Is that the incidents both that he saw and that came into their clinic of uh, basal rot anthracnose on Poa annua was significantly higher as people reduced phosphorus rates. So year over year, they were seeing more and more and more, and nobody could figure it out. Like, and he was like, "Well, they stop, you know, stop applying phosphorus because it's no longer in vogue to do that, right?" And so lo and behold. Some people start changing management practices and start applying phosphorus again, especially on predominantly or, you know, mixed greens, right, that have bent POA or predominantly POA. And all of a sudden, anthracnose starts to, you know, kind of go away. And so I agree with you that, you know, we, we often overlook the cultural side of the what, where, when, why, how, right? Um, and and so often that there's something wrong with grass and we think we start freaking out. We don't get down to the root cause. It's just immediately. And Ray, you've talked about this before ad nauseum. It's like, hey, there's something wrong here. Well, uh, what do I need to spray, man? What, what should I spray? Well, let's back up the truck here a minute, you know, let's and figure out back a little. <laughs> yeah. why. Yeah, why you're there? Oh, look at that. Look at that. Yes. Four hours of. Look at this, Ryan. I mean, this beautiful poster here. And mm-hmm. I wish, I wish we could do a video on this. We should do this and just break it all down, grass factor style, and talk about all the different sources that we have, all the rates that we might use, all the timings of which we might use a certain specific specific product, and the places that we should use them. Right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, well, I mean, we've talked about it on here before. We've talked about it on Thursday, Thursday. What, uh, you know, what sources that I'm going to use on centipede grass, I might not use in zoysia grass, and what I might use on Kentucky bluegrass, I might not use on tall fescue. So all of these things are very, very important. They get so overlooked because, again, 
to go back to Matt's favorite topic, we have oversimplified, right? And when you just said, hey, man, you want to click that link down there and go ahead and buy my shit, and mm-hmm. you can get on me all you want. What? You can yeah, you can you can tar and feather me. I don't care. I'm just saying, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. Exactly, exactly. Because is that damaging to somebody's said, business? I hope not. Well, I don't care. I don't care because their lack of care becomes damaging to my business. Because then it'll come up that when I need to use a product. Oh, you can't anymore because uh, turf got taken off the label because it's been so widely misused that EPA decided that it shouldn't even be on the market anymore. So go ahead and damage away, uh, Ryan, because oversimplification is just a horrible thing. And you know where oversimplification is like really bad? When it comes to addressing environmental issues, mm-hmm. okay, because that phosphorus ban that you talked about, that was a gross oversimplification of the actual issue because phosphorus in the waterways in the Great Lakes, not all of that came from golf and turf did it no the majority of it came from tillage mm-hmm. in application right, right. to in application to uh 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 frozen frozen ground too and it, you know right. you brought up you brought up last week uh till i'm over here pointing at you like i've got something to do with you but um you brought <laughs> last week toledo ohio right and uh and kyle yep. calbin yep. who who shows up from time to time um He's up in that area, and when he was bringing it up to me and talking about phosphorus runoff into the Great Lakes and stuff, I found an interesting article back then that showed a uh, a map of all the tributaries that ran there. And so I put that image of the tributaries that were the largest contributors to the, the phosphorus runoff and put it over top of a satellite view. And guess what? When you looked at it from a satellite view on Google Earth, everything was fallow. Everything was bare ground fallow. So where the hell do you think it was coming from? It wasn't a bunch of neighborhoods that were that were all riding along this tributary. It was all farmland. It was all fallow at the time of that picture on Google Earth. Every bit of it bears hell. That's where all the damn phosphorus is going. Once it's in your soil and you have something growing in it, it ain't going nowhere fast. Phosphorus isn't mobile like nitrogen is, right? It's not dissolving right. and just running off to holy hell real quickly. It's not, you know, perk, perking all the way down into your into your water table, typically. It is a very slow mover. It's very stable once within the soil. But here's the problem is if you've got exposed soil and your, your soil is just running wherever the water takes it, then it's also carrying the phosphorus with us. And that's where we end up getting screwed again on this end. Similar to glyphosate, we get screwed again because someone else is making a big boo-boo with it, and they've got to pin the blame on someone. They've got to punish someone. Who do they punish? We bear the brunt of it. We are the whipping boy, and we have to figure out how to make do without. And we come to them with shit like, oh, look, we've got basil rod anthracnose in all of our greens. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, what do you what do you do about it at that point? Are they going to magically start allowing phosphorus and turf grass uh, up there? Well, what, what, I guess the regulation now is what if you if you have a soil test that shows 
you're you're deficient, yeah. then you can go ahead and make the application, right? I don't know. Checks right. my ass, man. Yeah, it it, it bugs me. Out the real too, because, Yeah, it it bugs me out because uh I run into a similar situation where poorly controlled runoff from Eggland or the remaining Eggland is basically putting a big bullseye on my back because now the city, the easy target for them is to go after everything that happens in residential areas, everything. But they don't look at as hard these farm fields or former farm fields that when it rains, you have a river of mud going straight to the ocean. It's more convenient to micromanage what the residential areas do, which is not fair and not right. No, it's not fair. Because we're not the culprit. We're not the culprit, you know, because why, for example, would I let massive amounts of dirt run from a residential lot? Why would I do that? No, you wouldn't, and, by the way, and you can't. When do you have the opportunity to allow that to happen? You know what I mean? Like, you're not out there running a tiller, you know, every fall, and, and it, it just it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You, you know, it, you don't have the flexibility, the opportunity to even allow that to happen. Absolutely not, because I'm growing grass and ground cover as a perennial crop. So, All right. it ain't... <laughs> Yeah, it's not. It's it's not. It's we are not the primary contributing factor to this whole thing. Um, we're running long, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to the mailbag. Jay Pink, what do you, you got, got for mail. us this week? Uh, yeah. So I'm going to throw some pictures up here while I read this. Um, so Evie writes in, "I need help with a family member's lawn that I'm going to take care of. I'm in Minnesota, just south of Minneapolis, and the lawn was overseeded in spring with turf type tall fescue, and is better." but could use another overseed. Our first frost date is typically October 1st. I was going to overseed tomorrow with more fescue and fertilizing with triple one, but the lawn also has about 20% weeds that were ignored all season that should be taken care of. He lists black medic, clover, prickly, lettuce, crabgrass, dandelion, oxalis, speed zone and ortho uh, triclopyr on hand, how bad is spring at the time of seeding? Wondering on overseeding and spraying timing with 50 days left in the season. All right. So my initial thought, just looking at this right here, is I'm not seeing anything that needs more seed added to it. Um, like, yeah, in this picture right here, I would not add any more seed to that. That is going to establish and mature and eat up that space. And I'll tell you, the previous picture, go back to the other picture, J-Pink, um, this one here, I, I, that is like, that is like super good coverage, if not too good of coverage. Um, I was kind of lush, little, doesn't it, Matt? Y- yeah, that's that density. There is, <laughs> is probably a little bit too strong for, for my taste. So this is what I would do if it were me, I would fertilize right now. And, um, I would be pretty aggressive on the fertility considering you have 50 days left. Um, you know, I would be getting down about a pound of in a month. 
uh, you know, mm-hmm. for these next 50 days, they'd give you two pounds, a pound and three quarter, pound and a half by the end of the year. You're good. Let it go to bed that way. And then I would go ahead and get aggressive on the weeds. That is, yep, definitely would not be adding any more seed to that. That is, that is good. That just needs to be right. grown in and matured a little bit. Uh, so I would fertilize and I would be spraying weeds right now. Definitely not applying any more seed. Uh, you would be absolutely stunned at how well that fills in right there. That is a much, these pictures we're looking at right here, this is a much healthier rate of seed than what we saw earlier with the uh, with the clover in the background. Um, that That is a little bit too dense for my liking. So, yeah, that's that's definitely what I would do. Focus on the weed control. And look, you know, with the weeds you're talking about there, your cheapest route would be to go with just a three-way, like a, a, a generic triad or triplet. Um, any of those would be sufficient. You know, make sure you use a, a, a decent surfactant with it. Um, as we saw earlier with 2,4-D, you know, maybe use uh, ammonium sulfate as your adjuvant and, uh, and capitalize on that. If you want to take it up a step, you know, you can use a three-way with the fluoroxapir, triclopyr kicker, like Momentum FX2 from Site 1 or Battleship 3 from Helena. Both of those would be sufficient. I think it might be a little bit overkill for what you have, but um, that would ramp up your guarantee on efficacy. Am I overlooking anything, Ray? Where, 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 where am I missing out? I don't think you're missing anything. And he mentioned having clovers and oxalis and so he was mentioning triclopyr with speed zone and that would actually be my go-to to just clean this out in the fall so that come springtime this lawn is looking fabulous and with that two pounds of nitrogen down before dormancy i i could guarantee that it's going to come out in spring just you know ready to go Without the weeds, so <laughs> yeah. So that so I think he's uh, he's probably got all he needs to do is just do some feeding, uh, kill the weeds, and then enjoy this uh, next spring. Yeah, I think that is probably about got it. Evie, if you got any more questions, feel free free to uh, follow up with us, and we'll offer you any kind of advice we can. I just want to go ahead and plug this one more time. Listen, we are independent content creators. We don't want to take money from people within the industry, uh, but we do uh, wish to get paid for the amount of time we put into this. Um, You know, we spend hours putting together articles and we spend hours obviously recording this. And, uh, and as much as we like to do it for the good of our heart, ultimately it takes time away from our family. So, uh, so, uh, uh, selfishly, we do ask that if you can, if you would like to support us with an airport beer, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash burn and return. And, uh, for four bucks a month, you get early access to this. You get voting power on different things, such as the topics we cover, uh, suggestions for content on the shows. And, uh, and depending on what, you know, what level you want to go with, you also get, uh, increased access there or time to, to be able to consult with us on various things we have too. But the most badass thing of all, the most badass thing of all is you get free merch. It's just going to randomly show up for however long you're a Patreon supporter. So some options there if you want to do that. For those of you that support us on the YouTube channel, you can do that too. Head over to YouTube, hit the join, although half half of that ends up going to YouTube and uh, goes to the Google space anywhere. So if you can, support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 
burn, and return. Gentlemen, thank you all for tuning in this week, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye.